UX Podcast is funded by me and Per, together with contributions we get from you, our listeners. If you'd like to contribute, you can do so financially, just visit uxpodcast.com slash support, but you can also contribute as a volunteer. We'd love your help to make sure we get our transcripts and various other things created and published for each show. Raise your hand to help by emailing uxpodcast at uxpodcast.com. UX Podcast Episode 262. I'm James. And I'm Pat. And this is UX Podcast, balancing business, technology, people and society every other Friday for 10 whole years and reaching out to listeners in 199 countries and territories from Cambodia to Mexico. Is that a new record, like 199? Well, it's not going down, Pat. (laughs) (laughs) We have a quite special show today with no less than three guests. Uh, and the background behind this show is that we were invited to UXLX Masters. And longtime listeners of the show will know that UXLX is where this podcast started out 10 years ago. Back in May 2011. So for UXLX, we invited three brilliant people uh, to join us and talk about confidence. Confidence and surviving the demands of the future. And what we're trying to get at is this notion that more and more of UXers are actually feeling stressed about the fact that we're expected to know so much about technology and tools. Uh, And this was sort of came out of a discussion we were having about uh, within UX education. It's it's quite evident that a lot of students are asking about the tools. What tools do I need to know? Whereas those of us who have been in the industry for quite a while, we think about it along the ways of... We're not, it's not about the tools, it's about the process, it's about the methodology. I said both me and you, Per, mm-hmm. we're members of um, well, boards or steering committees for um, two of the um, vocational education courses offered here in Sweden. And, mm-hmm. and this has been something that's come up a lot, that you know, the students really want to learn a lot about specific tools. Um, you know, and the employees, employers are actually asking for those specific tools. Yeah. But we're so a bit pe- more than this, aren't we? Exactly. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Mm. Uh, and, and to help us bring more light on this topic, uh, the three people we have invited are Kim Goodwin, UX legend and uh, author of uh, Designing for the Digital Age. Kate Rutter, um, professor at California College of the Arts and co-host of the... Well, he's a, definitely a funnier podcast than ours. What is wrong with you, X, to get, um, and co-author of Build Better Products? And Pamela Pavlishak, tech emotionographer. And so I glad love you that said title. that. I'm so glad you said that word. <laughs> but I love the title. And people yeah. will say, well, people are just making up words now about, well, what what is UX? Who knows what UX? But emotionographer, <laughs> emotionography, and that actually triggers something. That triggers an emotion in people when you say it. Uh, so Pamela teaches speculative design at Pratt Institute and is the author of Emotionally Intelligent Design. So we're going to start off uh, this show 
and you'll be hearing clips from each of the, these people. Uh, we're starting off with Kate, and we wanted to ask her more about looking at UX education and, and people just assuming that they need to know specific tools and all of this technology approaching and it's changing all the time and people feel that they need to know voice and AI and chatbots. And, but how much of our time do we really need to be spending on understanding all these new technologies? Yeah, you know, just thinking back, though, it's been a transition, and I think especially for structured education, so you have a school or you have a program, uh, the shift from a tools practice into a more methods or uh, even kind of uh, applicable practice where you might have partner companies that are creating design challenges within the context of a studio or even a classroom. Uh, I, I think that is an evolution. And mm -hmm it takes a while for people's expectations to change, for the material that you use to communicate about the program to change, et cetera. And so it, was, it can take a few years before you stop listing, this is the set of software you need, need mm. right? It's a little bit like implying that someone might go to UC Berkeley, but what they wanna know is the full book list of everything they'll take mm. when they're there. You know, it's like, well, that really has a lot of other considerations and we might recognize that that's kind of an, um, unhelpful question to ask but i don't think we've the, the world has kind of gotten to the understanding that software tools are are less helpful that said it, it's the means of production right if you cannot use figma there are certain workplaces that you cannot participate in hmm. and so it is tricky and for people who um don't have talking a lot about tools, but for people who don't have access to those because of price, because of um, computing equipment, because of just even location or global situation, whatever that is, then they are at a disadvantage. And so the tools are, are important. Um, not being able, you can use the tools well and still not be able to design well, I think. So I think we're trying to figure that out too. Mm. But uh, it's, I'm more interested in how do people stay on top of what is happening and coming next, especially when they're either inculcated into an education program or worse yet in a company where, you mm. know, your challenges are almost always here and now, you know, and very immediate. And I mm. think it's the, the lifelong learning, which I talked about at UX Lisbon a couple of years ago, is, um, is the only way that our field will and the practitioners in it will have a sense of renewal and self-renewal skills renewal but also um opportunity renewal that will then fuel our organizations to have the same i don't think our companies are gonna be like we got to go out and chart a new course like you know that I mean, maybe some of them like r d maybe you know i would love i'd love that world but that world's not happening we need the people within those organizations to be pioneers pioneering what they believe is coming next mm. yeah i mean we've talked um previously about um, continuous learning um but i wonder if if um something just as important maybe is is um continuous confidence mm. you know because the way that we've got these these tools and we, the tools change but there's a set that you kind of need to experience anyway and i guess that confidence about the fact you have got experience with the tools is maybe what we need to look at too I love that, that continuous confidence and that uh, that you're building and kind of constantly um, 
creating that sense of comfort and awareness and capability for yourself. And I might add to that this continuous exploration. Mm. And, you know, I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but I'm going to because it's a thinky topic and we need to explore it from multiple perspectives. So for every time I say it's not about the tools, I will also say new tools give new opportunities. There are things that you can do. Sometimes it's just making it more efficient. So if you go from like, you know, and I get called names, but Photoshop to Sketch, some of the same principles apply, right? Sketch is better at it than Photoshop for certain things. Photoshop is actually still better at the, than Sketch is. But they, you know, they kind of fit into the same mindset. If you go from Microsoft Word to Google Docs, then whatever. Like you, you're learning the new orientation, but you're not really learning the new mindset. But if you go from something like uh, Figma to a to like react <laughs> that is a whole different thing in your brain mm-hmm. right and so i think that's that's where new and interesting things happen and so i you know i used to joke um last year with some of the colleagues in the east bay ux scene and we were what concerned about falling out of tools like i've got tools i'm so efficient with like, it is not interesting for me to explore a new tool if I am on production or if I'm on deadline. But I also know that those tools, like, I'm at some point I'm going to be clinging to, you know, my desktop versions with my with my dead hand. So I am, I got to stay fresh. But it's a little embarrassing as if someone believes you're in a seasoned position to ask for help with a tool that everybody else knows. So I get concerned about our senior managers or leaders who are no longer perhaps in the day-to-day enough that they get efficient with the new tools, not understanding the capabilities of the new tools. And so they can't effectively kind of make the most of their team. Um, and that's that's something that I think about. So I almost wanted like a secret speakeasy, or you're going to call it a teach easy, where you'd go and get a drink and then you know, folks who knew those tools would come in and clandestine on the, on the down low would like teach you how to use that shit so that you didn't hmm. miss an opportunity because you didn't know it. So we wanted to bring Kim Goodwin into this conversation as well. So we know people assume that they need to know specific tools, but then there's also the new technology that's approaching. It's changing. How much, Kim, do we need to know uh, and how much of our time do we actually need to spend on understanding the new technologies? I think we need to understand that, that they exist and broadly what they make possible, right? So that that in a project, we might be able to think, oh, I wonder if this is a thing we could use uh, if it's not already something that exists in that team or that organization. But I don't think we need to know them in depth until we're actually working with them, right? We, we can't keep up with everything uh, that we need to know. It, I think we can draw some comparisons to healthcare, right? Um, In many cases in UX, we are playing the role of that generalist, that family physician, uh, right? Where we need to know a little about a lot of things, but there are lots of things that we won't know in depth. And then there are some people who choose to specialize, right? You can go deep into being a voice AI designer and develop a ton of expertise there. And that's great. Um, And you know, but not everyone needs to do that. And you don't have to have developed that expertise to do a bit of work in that field necessarily, right? Uh, You do need to learn some things about it. But many of those things that are specific to a technology, you can learn by observing some users use a technology, right? There there are definitely principles involved in designing for a chatbot that 
are not there when you're designing for a form because the interaction is stepwise, it's slower, it's it's more time consuming. Um, but all you have to do is run a couple of usability tests with a chatbot to see, oh yeah, that's how it's different, right? Mm. It, it makes itself pretty clear pretty quickly. Um, the other thing I will say about technology is even though technology is new, everything old is new again sometimes, right? A lot of what is interesting and new about a technology sometimes is a constraint that has existed before. I remember um, a number of years ago, uh, some designer who was much younger than I was, was saying something about, oh, well, you know, designers your age don't really understand designing for phones and small screens and low resolution and a, it was obnoxious of him to say, but uh, I just had to laugh. I said, okay, um, have you ever designed for uh, 640 by 480 or monochrome or 16 color? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, have you ever designed the screen on a glucose meter, which is monochrome and tiny? Yeah, small screens are, are really not a new thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, all of these constraints have come up before. Low bandwidth on uh, on some devices. Well, that existed many years ago. So, Everything old is new again. Yeah, I mean, we yes, yeah, we're we're humans still, and the, the pace of human change uh, that's a little bit slow to evolve than the technology in, in front of us. So it, I guess it makes sense that we oh, we loop quicker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there there are some technologies that fundamentally change human behavior, right? I mean, uh, even twenty years ago, we were all about trying to be more reachable. And and now that we all have, you know, supercomputers in our pockets, we're like, please, how can I be less reachable? <laughs> right. The the behavior shift there is pretty profound, but mm. few technologies do that that quickly. Mm. I love your point about specialization as well, because I think uh, we can help people feel a lot better if we help them realize that th- there's a person in UX and they know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you're not a UXer if you don't know all that stuff. Yeah, we're all different. And that's, I think, what's really awesome about this profession as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very much an umbrella, right? It certainly has gotten more specialized over the years. Um, what I think is is interesting, though, is, um, you know, again, going back to that parallel in the medical profession, um, before you can be a neurologist, you have to be a physician, right? You, you don't just go learn neurology, without understanding how the skeletal system works, right? Mm. Um, so I, I do think we all need some grounding in some fundamentals. Uh, we, we all need to be able to do a basic user interview, even if user research isn't our specialty, right? We all need to be able to uh, to do some of those basics, even if we're um, you know, focused in a narrower area of our field. Are we still a little bit too focused on the visual aspect of design in where we are today? Pamela suggested, that we need to let go of the side of the pool and explore what's coming. What lies ahead means we really do have to broaden our focus. I hope so. I mean, I think that's a real limitation of where we're at right now is we're very focused on visual design and in a kind of weird way too, because we also shy away from like specifics about visual design in a lot of ways and focus on the structure. So that's kind of a weird tension to think about, but let's just set that aside. Um, I would like it to be more multi-sensory, right? Because when we think about our emotional lives, that's not just like we can see facial expressions, right? Or we can, um, 
pick up on the way somebody moves or a gesture. But there's a lot more to our emotional life. I mean, a lot of it's just interior. A lot of it's cognitive. A lot of it is sensorial, though, how things touch, the touch, the taste, music. And I think we don't have a good way to design with those materials yet. You know, I think that's coming. And that's why I'm my most exciting work, I think, now is really experimenting with objects, with things, with physical. Usually they have, you know, a screen that goes with them and they're somewhere mm. in the mix. But I think that's a new territory for us. And that's really exciting. And it's not that people haven't been thinking about it over the years. It just feels like it's slower in coming. And maybe that's a good thing, right? Because sometimes we think, oh, things are changing so fast. I got to know mm. this. I got to know that. Mm. But then you look back on it and you think, well, it's really been like, what, 20 years since people got excited about ubiquitous computing? And where is it? You know, <laughs> I can't taste or VR would be another one, right? There's lots of possibilities there, but it's not like we have to scramble that it's being implemented everywhere. We have time to think this through and play out different possibilities and get a little bit experimental with, with that because it's not going to be embedded in everything right away. I don't think anyway, right? Like I'm not in the job of predicting things, obviously, because a lot of things have changed very suddenly with the pandemic, right? Like things that um, we maybe weren't that into using, <laughs> we're using all the time. We were talking about Zoom earlier, that platforms. I mean, I think probably all of us were using stuff like that, but I know, you know, my parents are on Zoom now. That was a big, big deal. Um, lots of weird technologies that maybe wouldn't have been so popular before the pandemic are becoming or are reviving, you know, like friendship lamps, or I have these bond touch bracelets where you can, you know, kind of like a Facebook poke, but in real life, remember Facebook folks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, like weird stuff like that. Like if there hadn't been this global upheaval and this massive event that affected us all, we might not have seen that coming so quickly. So mm. I'm not saying like, oh, ubiquitous computing isn't going to come right away or VR isn't, maybe there's something unforeseen, but we also have to look at like, we have some time. It's not going to happen. And when we look at some of these technologies, they're not very good yet, you know, so there's not much that can be done with them. At least mm. I'll just spoke, speak for the emotion piece. It's cut, It's at a, a toddler level of knowledge right now, or maybe even less than that. You know, it's, it's the technology can recognize extremes and very narrowly defined ones and one modality. <laughs> so mm. that's pretty limited right now. There's a long way to go with something like that. So let's circle back to our chat with Kate. She makes an excellent point about us being frustrated quite often about tech being slow and tedious. But then if you back up 10 years and compare it to that time frame, you realize how fast everything is truly moving and how much faster you can actually get work done. So we are getting more time, but what are we doing with the time we saved? 
And so I think that's where our time has to come from, is yeah. when we own, when we gain that time through product mm. technology advancements, we need to hold on to that time and not fill it up with more directed work. I don't give a shit about the productivity mm. of like business right now. We have huge productivity gains. What I really want is businesses to be able to stay productive for a longer haul and not just max out because they're killing their people and they're burning them out. So time to rest, time to learn within the construct of our work. That's what mm. I want. Time, time to play, time to, time to explore the, all those kind of curiosities and, and whys and things that you come up with and ask yourself. And share them. Mm. That was one of the most amazing things at Adaptive Path is we had this brown bag and we had these design, open design sessions and various different culturally embraced ways of bringing in new information and sharing mm. experiments, which fostered a sense of play and experimentation and you didn't always have to be perfect, you know? And that is also a huge part of that learning is mm. if you expect to have a level of achievement that would be perfection, whatever that even means to you, and you expect to do that out of the gate, well, I, I think that's very troubling. I actually think that's an attitude for learners in general that is deeply troubling to me. Mm. Um, and because it just stops you in your tracks. You have to be super excited about the shitty stuff before you can maybe even see a path of what uh, mastery or expertise could look like. Our career paths aren't straight lines. Pamela started off studying Russian literature before she switched to human-computer interaction. So we change, things change, and that's okay. Yet we're still kind of expected to decide exactly what we want to do from the outset. So hopefully... I mean, that's more of a cultural mythology, though, don't you think? Where it's like when you're a kid, people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? The fact is most people aren't going to be one thing. They're going to be lots of different things. And they might be vastly unrelated things. There are very few people who start off in one path and end up in that path. Um, you know, there are a few, certainly. I mean, some people have like a calling or, or a real, you know, draw towards something. But I think if you if you ask people in our field, but in other fields too, you know, where did they start out? Or if you look at the their career over a larger chunk of time, there's a lot of a lot of ways it evolves mm. and changes. So mm-hmm. I think that may be something we have to kind of keep in the background to you. It's like, yeah, our field's going to change a lot. And personally, you're going to change a lot and want to do different things and explore. So maybe after you pay off your grad student loans. And stuff. <laughs> For me, oh. that's so perfect to add, end on, actually. Okay. That's great. lovely. You had, you had one more question, James. Now, I was going to just comment on that. The, the, whole, the whole thing about re- remaining, so we say about continuous learning, but yeah. we, we kind of really want to just stay playful and stay curious. Absolutely. Mm. I think that, you know, follow your interests, follow your passion. If you get interested in something, then keep going. There's a lot. I mean, we're so lucky. There's so many opportunities and ways we can learn from. uh, Yes, from, you know, online learning or whatever, but from other people, from playing around with things and experimenting. Um, So I think, you know, and I think generations now that we now we have generations in design. I think we can learn from each other, too, and do a better job of that. I think what has happened in tech is it's sort of like, oh, especially in the coding world, it's like, oh, 
you know the old stuff. I, I don't want that anymore. We need the new languages. I feel like UX, and maybe that's true of coding. I don't know. I, I kind of think not because you learn things about architecting um, that that carry over as you go along. I think UX, though, we can now that we have this kind of more generations coming in, we can all learn from each other. I mean, I know I learn a lot from people who are just coming into the field or junior level. Hopefully they learn something from me. Uh, there's, you know, there's there's so much. That's the cool thing about our field is that there's so much going on and there's so much to do. And our work is really, really important even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it when you're doing another like onboarding process or whatever, but it is important in the big picture. <laughs> and so I think, you know, that's something, just that openness. I hope that we can keep that in our field and grow that feeling. And finally, bringing it all home, Kim reminds us to remember what UX is truly about and how our skills are replicable in, in many types of scenarios, not just the people on the other end of the digital interface we are working with. Absolutely. I mean, the, the core of UX is how do you understand humans and use that to influence decisions and behavior, right? Um, and that's that's a thing that we can do, not just with our colleagues, but, but with our future colleagues when we're trying to get them to hire us for a consulting gig or, um, you know, or promote us into a new job or whatever it is we're looking for. Uh, we have to help them see the possibilities. And I, I think that anybody who's good at UX can be good at that if they approach the problem that way. Mm. The great thing about UX is if you're actually doing UX and not just technology, what you're doing is you're helping your team or your client understand humans and make better decisions based on that understanding, right? That's really the heart of what UX is. And that has nothing to do with the tool or the technology, and I think that, you know, the more that you do it in different contexts, the more you see that that's true. So as long as you are good at at doing that and at making ideas concrete in a way that your team can sort of look at and poke at and help you iterate, then those are really the things to focus on mastery of because tools tools come along. Something that really stuck with me uh, from these interviews is something that wasn't part of any of these clips, actually, is when Kate uh, really pinpointed the fact that students are often excited about tools and senior UX designers sometimes say, keep saying that, well, it's not about the tools, it's about the process, it's about the methodology. Whereas it's really unfortunate then that you're actually killing excitement. They have excitement about a tool and we should actually be uh, helping that excitement be channeled into something really, really positive instead of trying to make it into something else. Yeah, Kit said about embracing mm. the enthusiasm. That was important to embrace mm. that. Um, and the interest is important and we shouldn't shut it down. What, what Kit also said was, you know, that, as we've mentioned in these interviews i think that the shift from a tools practice to a methods one does take time i mean me and you know all of us involved in the show have been in the industry for decades and so it's very easy for us to say ah it's not about the tools i mean gosh you don't need to worry about figma mm. lift rise above lift above it and 
focus on the methods that are tr you know truer and more holy than the actual tool and you know that's very very easy for us to say but when you are new to the industry you know, you, you expected to understand certain tools because that's what the mm. employers are asking for because they're using them right now and they think they get the quickest amount of you know quickest onboarding and the highest amount of instant productivity if you already know those tools Exactly. Whereas the tools will change and you will need to know the methods that lie behind it and what you're really doing. But that does take time. Yeah. I, I felt really targeted by that comment, actually, by Gabe, because I, I feel like I've actually done that to people and I don't feel uh, feel happy about that. I mean, I, I really need to reframe how I express my doubts about excitement about tools in certain contexts. But we always need to remember, as you're saying, the context that the students are in or that the junior designers are in. Uh, because people in UX will be doing lots of different things. That's that's the industry. So let them pursue stuff. Let them be excited about stuff because that also teaches them to learn new stuff. And it is always about the learning because if we if things change, as we're saying now, the tools change, well, the ability to learn new tools that is something that we should encourage all all the time. It's the classic yes and thing, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you, you take the enthusiasm for learning the tools mm. of today, and through experience, you you mm. you maybe share more stories about how similar tools were used to achieve mm. things before, and and maintain the excitement and share your excitement with the stuff you've achieved mm. with previous iterations, without kind of like being preachy, I guess, about well, it was better when we used Photoshop. Um, you know, we don't or front page or whatever. We don't mm. need to go like that. But um, but I think that's maybe how we speed up the process is by by not dismissing the tools and the enthusiasm, but holding their hand and and being quicker at sharing the methods and the and the uh, processes that we see through the tools um, right. earlier in these people's careers. I guess. Yeah, and I think I think one of the wonderful things is. In UX is that we meet a lot of people with so many different types of backgrounds and the examples that Pamela gave, I mean, not everyone has the type of background Pamela has <laughs> and also turns into a tech emotionographer. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I've met people from, I mean, I think I've met carpenters who become UXers. It's, it's anything. Mm. Uh, and I love that about design because we realize, realize that everything is design and everything that people have done in the past is relevant to what they're doing now in UX. Yeah, and I, I think Kim was alluding to this. We were talking about how you know, mm. we are humans. You know, the stuff that we deal with mm. is human. Um, and sometimes, I don't know, maybe we just get lost in uh, the technology and we do become distanced from the fact that we ourselves are humans and we interact with humans as part of our work. Mm. And this is sticky, icky, messy stuff dealing with humans. And mm. that, I think, would be more... I mean, it's another one of those things that's more healthy for us to keep in mind, that the other end is a human, not just when we're designing. Because that's what, that's what we talk about a lot, isn't it? When you, yeah. your interfaces you design or your, you know, your chatbots you design or whatever, your AI, it's, it's going to have a user, a human on the other side of it, and we push the kind of human-centered design and so on. But we are humans too and we interact with humans as part of the designing process before mm. it even reaches the humans on the other side oh that's so wise oh god stop <laughs> I it i love that <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i mean that alludes for me that also it's about 
recognizing your own vulnerabilities, your own shortcomings, your own biases, and just realizing that it's hard and it's okay that it's hard, but we're in it together. And I love I love these these clips that we played today, and I hope you really enjoy these incredible nuggets of, of wisdom. Uh, I wish we could share it all, but that would be make it seven episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and but you can though you can listen back if, as recommended listening. Um, yes, all three of these guests have been guests before, um, so there are there are five interviews and a couple of link shows involving articles made by the guests that you can go back to and listen to. And all of them will be included in the show notes. We have a newsletter. We do. And uh, it's been a while since we mentioned it. Uh, the backstage newsletter is sent out along with each episode and usually contains a few extra thoughts and the occasional discount code and special offers. Yep. You- UXpodcast.com slash newsletter. Were you going to say something? <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say something, but it, it was just going to complicate matters. <laughs> Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Past, the present, and future walked into a bar. Okay, and then what happened? It was tense. (laughs) Oh.